my heart I'm gonna praise you in my heart Gonna praise you in my spirit Gonna praise you in my heart You've been with me from the start Oh God, hear my call Oh God, lift me higher Oh God, hear my call Lift me up so I can sing your praise With my soul I'm gonna praise you to the person next to you say good morning it's great to be here we are the west side church and we are striving to honor god and love god it's great to be with you this morning All right, now that we know each other, we're going to learn a new song real quick. If you're visiting with us, all these songs might seem new. If you are regularly with us, it might be new as well. So I'm going to demo it for you, all of us up here, and I think you can totally learn it. Let us worship the Father, worship the Father, worship the Father of glory. 
Let us worship the Father, worship the Father, worship the Father of love. Nice. Okay, here's the chorus, okay? And we will glorify, we will glorify the Lord. And we will glorify, we will glorify the Lord. Easy enough, right? Awesome. Okay, let's go back to verse 1. Let us worship the Father, worship the Father, worship the Father, glory. Let us worship the Father, worship the Father, worship the Father of love. And we will glorify, we will glorify the Lord. And we
You. 
Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Gordon Ferguson. Oh. <laughs> I, I thought he was gearing up for another one. with Westside, at least in the foreseeable future, but it's been great to be with you. My wife sends her love, but she's in Orange County and catching a plane right after church there to go to Phoenix and be with our daughter and help them pack up to move to San Diego and to see some old friends who are in very poor health. So anyway, she uh, sends her love. Okay, this is the fourth lesson that we're doing on the subject of faith. And so uh, the question comes up, why a series on faith? Uh, when I was asked to come for four times, I thought, well, you're going through a transition in leadership. And of all things that you need right now, honestly, faith is one of the bigger ones. It's always one of the bigger ones, but I thought it would be especially appropriate uh, to use in a four-part series. I preached on this, all this material I've done over and over, uh, and a lot more besides uh, on the subject of faith. And when I mentioned it to the leaders, they said, uh, fine, uh, even you couldn't mess that one up probably, so why don't you do it on faith? And so uh, anyway, it was my choice, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about faith. And today we're uh, doing what should come forth in a four-part series. We're talking about how Patience and perseverance has to be there. It has to stay there. This race we are in is not a 100-meter dash. You figure that out, uh, at least most of you. It is not even a marathon. It's a lot longer than that. And so learning how to have patience and perseverance in life with all of its ups and downs and challenges is one of the great uh, things that we have to develop in our walk with God. And today, uh, I'm excited about the lesson. I'm going to share with you a personal illustration at the end of it, fairly long one that I've uh, never put in print, oddly enough, and I've never really shared it that many times, but I think it is at the heart of this lesson as far as an illustration goes, okay? So, Persevering in faith, a big challenge, but the rewards are tremendous. James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You couldn't ask for a bigger reward than that, right? And so whatever it takes to have faith with perseverance, uh, it is worth putting the uh, work into it. You know, when you find a subject mentioned in the Bible a lot, and faith is certainly mentioned a lot, uh, you can safely assume these two things. Number one, it's got to be important if God spent that much ink as the Holy Spirit inspired men to write. You know it's important, but you also know if it's mentioned a lot, it's probably not easy to get it. And so God has to keep teaching and reminding us so that we will, in fact, stay with it until we develop the quality. Now, the rewards for perseverance 
are conditional. And we're going to look at a few verses quickly here. But you'll notice in every one, the word if is there. The rewards come if you do certain things. And so the blessing that God wants to give us is always conditional. He's always wanting to help us do it. It's not a do-it-yourself project, but it still is conditional. It's conditional that we do what God has asked us to do, knowing that He is helping us if we just want to do it and want to be helped, okay? So, 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 2 Peter 1, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And finally, Galatians 6, uh, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, which is always beyond the time we wish it were, it seems to me. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. All of these ifs remind us that we've got to stay in it. We can't back out. We can't let any obstacle in our path get us off the track of faith that leads to heaven. Amen? Okay. My all-time favorite Old Testament character who met the challenge. I love the Old Testament. I love the characters in the Old Testament. Uh, I love the ones in the New as well. But I especially love a certain individual that illustrates with his life the very point that I want to make today, I think, the best of anyone. Now, favorite character, who would be yours? You know, a lot could top the list, especially talking about perseverance, Job would probably be at the top of many lists. And I have become well acquainted with the book of Job at various times in my life, as probably many of you have. My favorite character, though, is one that lived out the principle in what I think is not only a remarkable way, I think it's absolutely stunning. I think it is breathtaking that he did what he did. Who do you think I'm talking about? Good. Joseph. Joseph. Uh, if you, if you said, Joseph, you got it right. If you didn't, you were just waiting for help to get it right anyway. Okay, Jacob, I mean Joseph, rather, is one of the 12 tribes of this fellow named Jacob, whose name is later tur turned to Israel. And so when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, we're just talking about Jacob, his 12 boys, and all the kids, grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the nation developed from that one man, Jacob, well, of course, Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, but he, he's the guy that had the 12 who made up the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, what are the lessons we learned from Joseph about patience and perseverance? And then I put in parentheses what I think is a hugely important point. Jacob was a victim, and I'm going to mention a number of ways in which he was a victim, but in spite of being a victim in a situation he could do nothing about. In spite of being a victim, he never developed a victim mentality. 
You talk about something important. I mean, we live in a world that has a victim mindset. You know, the reason I'm like I am, it's not my fault. It's mama's fault. It's daddy's fault. It's the government's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my great aunt's fault. It's somebody's fault besides our own. And, and we, it, it's our DNA's fault. I mean, we have found so many things, even in science, to blame it on. But Joseph never developed a victim mentality in spite of being a victim. First of all, he's a victim of family problems. Now, we're introduced to him beginning in Genesis uh, 37, goes all the way through the end of the book in chapter 50. But this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks <coughs> with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Uh, did I go the wrong way? I did. Let's go this way. When his brothers saw <coughs> that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright, and uh, yours gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Mm, well, that's, that's a tough dream. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? They figured out the dream pretty good. And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he said. Uh, then he had another dream. He told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars. He had 11 brothers. Were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now, when you look at it, he was just honest. Now, did he ride out on his brothers because they'd been bad boys? Yes, but they'd probably deserve that. Uh, all he did was tell the truth about the dreams. They weren't figments of his own imagination. They were dreams from God, and he just shared them. So when you look at it on a scale of right and wrong, had he really done anything wrong, I'd be slow to say yes, although I've heard him accused of being prideful and a number of other things. I don't get that simply by reading the text. Maybe you do. Uh, when his father showed favoritism, the brothers hated him. Joseph could have questioned God, who was giving him the dreams, and said, you know, these guys want to kill me now. If you didn't give me the dreams, things would be better as far as family harmony. He could have questioned God, but he did not. Eleven brothers, ten of them wanted to kill him. The oldest, Reuben, uh, didn't want to do it. He wanted to find a way to deliver him, so they ended up sticking in the dry well. And while Reuben is off, uh, then Judah, it was, I think, said, no use killing him. We can get some money for him. Let's sell him into slavery. So, I mean, that was a kind-hearted brother. The rest of the dudes wanted to kill him. 
But this is the kind one. Let's sell him into slavery, which they did when he was 17. Now, he's next a victim of an ungodly woman, Genesis 39, who was very honest and diligent. Now, here is a guy, 17 years old, sold into slavery by his own brothers, hated by them. He's away from his family. He's away from anyone that knows the true God. He never got to hear a song like we just sang. He never had a discipleship partner. He didn't have a Bible to read. He was on his own, just him and God, age 17. Wow. All right, now, here's the kind of character he had. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from, or bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and all that the Lord gave him success in, uh, that he gave him success in everything that he did, he found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, God blessed his household. Everything that Potiphar owned did well, and he just said, Joseph, take care of it. I don't have to worry about one thing except food. So all day long, all he's got to do is think of cuisine. What are we going to have on the menu tonight? All the rest of it was being taken care of by Jacob, who could have questioned God. Most would have. Most would have said, God, how did you let me get into this? Why didn't you do this, that, or the other? But he just goes on being what he is. Now, he had a lot of strong moral convictions. It says Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now there's a point. Don't miss that one. All sin, even if it's against humans, is ultimately against God. He says, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. When she came in, he went out the door. When she walked into where he was, he found a way to uh, reverse course. He just wanted to be a righteous man. And this is a 17, 18, 19-year-old guy. Uh, sexual desire at a peak, and yet with no one looking over his shoulder except God. He says, no compromise. Uh, you, you have to look at a guy like that and just say, okay. You know, I, I'll carry your suitcase for you any day. <laughs> but he was falsely accused by the woman, thrown into prison. What did he do in prison? Well, evidently, he didn't sit around questioning God because he kept on doing what was right. Now, that's a lot of disappointment. Your brothers hate you. That's bad. They want to kill you. That's bad. They sell you into slavery as a compromise. That's bad. 
you do right and your slave owner throws you into jail. And now you're in jail. What are you going to do in jail? If you're righteous, you'll do what you've always done, whether anybody's watching or not, whether God has answered all your prayers for deliverance or not. Uh, he's still God and you still serve, right? Not a victim in his mind. While Joseph was there, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Every place he goes, he ends up running. He's eventually going to run the entire country, the greatest country the world had ever known at the time. He's going to run that too. It's just going to take a while to persevere and be patient, right? Okay, next thing. He's a victim of a forgetful friend, chapter 40. Uh, he kept trusting God. God gave him interpretation of dreams. The chief butler and the chief baker, Pharaoh got ticked off at him, threw him in jail. They both had dreams. Came to Joseph. Joseph said, here's what they mean. Uh, butler, you're going to get out of jail. You'll be good. Uh, baker, you're going to die. Uh, so he told him the truth, the interpretation. It came about just as he said. Now, he's a for forgetful of, I mean, he is a victim of a forgetful friend. Uh, when all of that happened and the cupbearer got released, Joseph said, be sure and tell about me. Get me out of this place. He might have been running to jail, but it still wasn't where he wanted to spend his life, right? So he says, remember me when you get out. And after it all came through, his friend forgot him. Well, hard not to have that victim mentality somewhere along the line, right? Where's God in all this stuff? Where is the reward for righteousness? Why didn't Joseph question God and God's goodness? Something seems terribly wrong. Righteousness has not been rewarded. It's been a long time. In fact, it's been 13 years before God ever answers that prayer. You have a hard time with 13 months, don't you? Maybe 13 days. And I know you do because I do, and I'm human and you're human, so I assume that we all have some struggles about how long it takes to get some prayers answered. Okay, payday on the way, chapter 41. God never sets a time, as far as we know, for when the rewards are going to arrive. He just said, if you be patient and you persevere and stay faithful, it's going to happen. Two years in jail is a long time. Thirteen years is a really long time. But then Pharaoh had a dream. Now the cupbearer remembers, hey, there's a dude back in jail that can tell you about your dream because he told me and he told the chief baker and it came true exactly as he said. Pharaoh sent for him. Uh, Joseph told him his dream. And the next thing you know, he is the one running the nation. After the dream's interpreted, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so wise and discerning as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people will submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. 
So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Isn't that a nice story? We all like fairy tales. There's a lot of other stories in the Old Testament that didn't come out quite this nice. Uh, but this one came out really, really good. Then the greatest victory is when he's reunited with his family. So he met up with his brothers. They're starving to death during the famine. They come to get grain. Uh, he's rather tricky with them, but uh, it's a pretty interesting story as you read it. And uh, finally, he revealed himself to his family after he tested out their hearts to find out had they learned anything in life while they were separated from him. And actually they had. That was good. Uh, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, As everyone, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers couldn't get a word out. I mean, this is the dude they wanted to kill, and they threw in the well, and they sold him to slavery uh, 13 or so years later, more than 13 by now. But uh, they, they can't get any words out. They're thinking about their necks getting cut off is what they're thinking. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had finally gotten the nerve up to get close, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. But he knows what they're thinking. He can tell it in every fiber of their being. Body language says a ton. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land and for the next five there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you uh, as a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. Look at that. You talk about a real man. Goodness. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, ruler of all Egypt. And I hurry back to my father and say to him, here's what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You'll live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, etc. I'll provide for you here and so forth. And so he gives them the plan uh, so that they'll bring all of the family. Then, verse 14, threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him. They're born of the same mother uh, who died having Benjamin, actually. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. After his, afterward, his brothers talked with him. So in the end, God used it to get all the Israelites down into Egypt to save them and to allow them to multiply into the nation that would become the nation of Israel and get the law and bring Christ eventually and so forth. But he understood some of life's biggest realities with absolute crystal clear perception. No matter what happens, God is in control and not man. If we could get that, we'd be different people. If we could get that, we'd be a different church. But so many people, for whatever reason, can't get their eyes off the circumstances and off of men. 
I'm telling you, this lesson is huge. But God is pretty clear about it. Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I am the Lord, I the Lord do all these things. Lamentations. Who can speak? And had it happened if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? It doesn't mean that calamities are good. It doesn't mean that they're God, I, God's ideal will. Because His ideal will is sinlessness. But it does mean that in spite of anything and everything that does occur, God can weave it into His tapestry to bring about His plan. For the world and for your life, you got to get it. And it's a hard, hard lesson to get. But God can take the worst of things, like the Son of God on a cross killed, and weave it into something beautiful if we have the kind of faith that sees God everywhere and not simply circumstances and men. Okay? Isn't that a big lesson? Amen. No matter how big the challenges, they can be endured with God's help. No matter how dark, dark life circumstances may seem, if we persevere, God's payday train will ultimately roll into the station and no men or group of men can stop it. We've got to believe that. Now, let me tell you about learning this lesson when I was really young. Uh, I don't know how I got it at such a young age and got it so thoroughly. I'm just grateful because I've watched a lot of my friends shipwreck their entire lives because they didn't ever get it. Here's what happened. I was raised in a family where my mom's side was religious and weird. <laughs> and my dad's side was total unvarnished pagan and had all the fun. Well, it wasn't hard to choose in my experience on that one. So I was on the pagan side all the way. Grandma had four boys. The youngest was only 10 years younger than me and married after I did, so I was the fifth Ferguson boy. When Grandma died, the five of us went down to pick out the casket and make the arrangements because I was one of those four crazy boys. And uh, so when I got married, I really wasn't much into going to church. My wife wanted to go. She had a lot more morals and religiosity about her than I did. I polluted her some, but nonetheless, she had a lot better intent. So she wanted me to go to church. And so we would go occasionally, maybe once every three, four weeks. Otherwise, I was on the lake fishing. So anyway, we'd go to these churches, and it was all I could do to sit through it. I thought, this is the most boring stuff. And that dude up in the pulpit with, those, with that stained glass window, I bet he has lace on his underwear. I know I was critical, and I know that wasn't nice. I said that one time, and an elder's wife, Linda Brumley, sent me some men's briefs with lace all over <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't wear them. Uh, 
But I had a hard time with this church thing. But then I met this guy. God sent a guy, and I always said there was only one guy in the state of Louisiana that it could have gotten to me, and God sent him. He was six foot five. He was a man's man. He loved to fish. He loved to eat fish. And he was incredibly patient, loved the Bible, was open with his life. He was really one of us. And he wanted to go fishing with me. And so I took him. That was scary time. Uh, but anyway, we got to be good friends. I still remember the day. I always knew I'd go to hell. And I remember the day in a service with him preaching because he was really good. I remember where I was sitting when one day the thought hit me for the first time, maybe I don't have to go to hell. Maybe I actually could change and get saved. I still remember that day, exactly where I was and how hard it hit because I was pretty miserable listening to guys preach because I knew I was, if he preached on heaven, I was miserable because I wasn't going. If he preached on hell, I was miserable because I was. But time went on, and I spent enough time with this preacher guy. He worked magic. God used him to work magic in my life. I became such a different person. I so badly got the preaching bug. I wanted to preach. Everything else I'd done, I'd been successful at, but I was miserable with all of it. We had a lot of possessions. We had the American dream in spades by the time we we're 25 years old. It's an amazing story. I won't tell that one. But I wanted to preach. I, that's all I cared about. Well, I talked to this guy that influenced me so much, and here's where the story gets really, really interesting. I, I talked to him about it, and he said, you know, he said, I already had an a, a undergraduate degree in music education and half a master's in administration. Uh, education. But I talked to him, and the guy, uh, the, the preacher friend said, you know, I know a rich fellow uh, that helps guys go to school, and I feel certain that he would help you go to school. I'll give him a call, and I think you can just take your wife and your baby and go wherever you want to go, and he'll support you, and you can train to be a minister. Boy, that was good news to my ears until he came over to my house with tears in his eyes. He said, Gordon, I don't know what to say. I am so sorry. This guy told me he had a policy. He'll help guys get their basic Bible training, but not get something beyond because I thought I, I was going to go and get a master's degree since I already had so much of it. Uh, he said, the guy said he's sorry. Maybe the policy doesn't really fit you, but it's his policy, and he doesn't feel like he can break it. That was one of the worst times of my life. I have no idea how many tears I shed. Because to me, I said, God, here am I, send me. And God slammed the door in my face and says no. And so then all the thoughts of why? What is there about me God doesn't like? What about me can't do this thing? Why is God saying no to me? You talk about questioning God. We went round and round and round and round. I would put my wife and baby to bed. I would go in our living room. I would get my Bible out. I became well acquainted with the book of Job. 
I would sit up long nights and late nights and read and cry and ask God, why God? Why? It went on for months. I have no idea how long it went on. You know the amazing thing? Somewhere before that happened, I was probably 25. Got married at 22, probably about 25. The amazing thing is, I never got mad at my friend that promised me he could get me the money, and I never got mad at his friend who wouldn't give me the money even though he had it. To me, it wasn't about them. It was just me and God. In the last decade, I've seen people who got mad at people, often leaders, because it was leaders in my life that brought me pain, my best friend, in fact. But so many times I've seen people in the last 10 years get upset at people, and then it affects what they do with God. They quit giving their money, for example. I just never understood that. They quit going to church. They quit serving. They quit doing because they got hurt by men. And so rather than ask, where is God in the middle of the thing, they got it all figured out, and it's all about men. What an unbiblical tragedy that has destroyed so many lives. I never did that. I never stopped giving the tithe that we had decided to give. I never quit, I never missed a service. I never quit doing one thing I was asked to do because I understood the battle lines at age 25. Had nothing to do with men, nothing. It was me and God going after it. And we went after it. Long nights, late nights, months, turned into years. But I never backed off one thing I was doing for God. I was often heartbroken because in my mind I wanted to preach more than anything in life. But I never backed off. I don't know how I knew that at 25, but I, I, I'm sure the preacher guy taught me. I am so grateful. Whoever taught it to me and got it through my head and into, into my heart, I'm ever so grateful. Now, if you persevere, I didn't have to go 13 years, by the way, but I had two really long, hard ones, right? But when God got ready to do his thing, it's a story that every time I tell it, I think, how did it happen? The preacher and I were together one day frying up some fish. He said, you know, this is two years later. He said, you know, I met this guy. He went to a different kind of school than you were thinking about. I don't know anything about these schools. They're called schools of preaching. I don't know a thing about them. But after we eat, why don't we go up to the church office, we can use the church phone, I'll call this guy, he lives in New Orleans or Baton Rouge, whichever one. We'll go give him a call, see what that school is, just out of curiosity. Okay. No hope, just, okay. God's already slammed the door, we go anyway. We go up and call the guy. He said, yeah, I went to this school in Dallas. Here's the name of the director. Here's the, name, the phone number. Why don't you give a call and get a brochure and you can understand more about it. So I call that school. I'm talking to a secretary. In a minute, the director of the school is on the line. 
I said, I'd like for you to send me a brochure. I don't know anything about these kinds of schools, but my friend knows somebody else that went to yours and uh, got trained well, so will you send me a brochure? Here's my address. We talked a little while. He said, listen, I've got a small airplane. He said, I am going to uh, fly over and see you tomorrow. I want to sit down and talk with you. I'm thinking, doo 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 doo, in the twilight zone. <laughs> I call, I call a guy for a brochure, and he's gonna fly his plane over and see me the next day. I'm thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? <clears throat> she was teaching that day, substitute teaching. So I'm kind of in shock. I'm thinking, some guy's coming over. And uh, I got home, the preacher called me back. He said, hey, this fellow in Dallas called me back and talked to me a while about you. And he said he's headed to the airport now to get in his plane and to pick him up at the airport at 5 o'clock. He'll be there about 5. And he wants to spend the night with you. And I haven't picked Teresa up to tell her that we have guests for the evening. <laughs> so I, I thought, this is, this is crazy. But I went and picked my wife up. I said, baby, I don't know how to tell you this. If I made a phone call, an innocent phone call asking for a brochure. <laughs> and somewhere between Texas and the edge of Louisiana, some guy is up in a Piper airplane right now headed our way. I don't know if he's crazy or what he is. He told me on the phone. He said, our new semester started today. You can come Sunday and just start next Monday one week late. On the phone. So he comes, and I pick him up at the airport. We come to my house. My wife fixed up something quick. The rice wasn't even cooked good. Don't tell her I said it. Uh, this guy starts his spiel. He's convinced I need to come. And I said, listen, I've been down this road already. I've tried to get support. I couldn't find any support. He said, well, you know, it's interesting. A guy dropped out of school today, and there's a church in this town that helps support him. And so late at night, he calls this elder in this church and said, can you come over to Gordon's house? Do you know Gordon? Different church. He said, yeah. He said, actually, uh, my son was in the band with him. I know who he is. So now he's over, coming over. Then my preacher buddy comes walking in. All this is late at night. My preacher buddy comes walking in. He said, hey, I called my friend. He said, my friend reconsidered. He said, this kind of program is a basic training program. It's not a graduate school. He'll help you. So the elder comes in half asleep. And not that all elders are half asleep, Al, but anyway. Uh, and, and so the, the, the guy, the school guy said, well, what, what about Gordon? Can you switch that support over? Because this guy dropped out, whether you know it or not, he dropped out today. So on a Monday night, he said, uh, how about giving your support to Gordon? So the elder from the other church said, well, uh, I feel pretty sure that we could probably do it. I'll have to ask the other guys, but probably can do it. And so all of a sudden, pieces started coming together. About midnight, maybe 11 o'clock, this guy looked at me, and he said, you can come over Sunday Tell everybody, put your house up for sale, pack your stuff. You can come over Sunday. 
Leave your wife and baby. They can get everything packed up. You got relatives. Get it all packed up, and then they can come the next week. You can come back on Saturday, get a moving truck, and move them to Dallas. Find an apartment in the meantime. I'm thinking, this guy is about the craziest fellow. <laughs> but he kept talking. And finally, somewhere between 11 and 12 o'clock at night, he said, okay, Gordon, are you coming or not? I said, I'm coming. And then he was kind of taken aback. He says, are you sure? <laughs> it was such a wild plan. Even he could see that. I said, yeah, I'm sure. He turned to Teresa. He said, what about you? She said, well, he's been miserable long enough. And I believe this is what God wants, so yeah, we'll do it. So in that week, we had to tell all of our relatives that lived there, my parents, her parents, the church, there's a deacon in the church, had to tell them, put our house up for sale, five houses on our block up for sale. Not a good time to sell. I got in a car Sunday afternoon, drove to Dallas, stayed at the guy's house, started school the next day a week late. And that week, our next-door neighbor, young couple, just happened to have some real close friends that thought it'd be delightful to live next door, and they bought our house in a week with all the other ones up for sale. Came back. My parents thought we'd lost our minds, <laughs> uh, which in a way we sort of had. But they all helped load the truck, all my pagan uncles. and they, <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're thinking this guy is crazy. They're all thinking it, but they're not saying it. But I know what they're thinking. They load the truck up. I got my wife and baby. We drove over and uh, found a nice rat and ro roach-infested apartment to live in that didn't cost much money out of a nice home that we uh, had just sold. And so from 2 o'clock one afternoon to about midnight, 10 hours or less, all of the pain and the strain of two years of grief and questioning God. God said, okay, you stayed faithful, son. You stayed in the battle. You didn't back off. You kept doing everything I asked you to do. Here's your prize. And the rest is history. If I had more time, I'd cry more in it because it is, it was absolutely surrealistic from start to finish and the rest of the story I tell a little bit I think in victory of surrender about I pick up maybe at that point and go on but all the stuff that got me there that was quite a ride for a 25 year old and somehow or another I think it was my preacher friend I think he's the one that got me to see it's really all about God in the end of the day that's it and so there's a book a guy wrote I recommend it when people are big and God is small that's our problem right there. Too many get stuck with a focus on we little human beings and the temporary effects, temporary, that they can have on us. Patience and perseverance can never continue until and unless we figure out this God piece that we're talking about today that Joseph got down so well as a young, isolated guy in a foreign country. So it's got to be the case in our minds and hearts that people are small and God is big. Really, really, really big. And when we get there, guys, whatever comes in life, we'll be fine. God will work it out. 
one of the saddest conversations I've had in the last few years was talking to a good friend, not in L.A., not in Phoenix, where we moved from, a faraway galaxy. But I uh, talked to this guy. He's had a lot of pain in his life, and he will not accept what I've just preached because I preached it to him at a lunch table. He says, no, there's a human component, and they can mess up God's plan. If you think like that, you're in trouble. And you're never going to make it all the way through with faith. It really is all about God, guys. And so I hope that uh, Joseph and my little story have helped you. But I know this. There's not any more important component of faith than we've talked about today. To really understand that it is all about God and whatever men may do, whatever effects they may have, it will be temporary. And in the end of the day, God is going to do what God wants to do. And what he wants to do is reward faith. And you can't stop him from doing it except lose faith. So we got to stay in it, okay? I love you guys. I hope it's been helpful. Let's... Uh, <laughs> let's... Uh, we're about to have about to have communion and I don't know what's on your heart right now what's on my heart is just a lot of gratitude that God gave a son on the cross but that God stoops down to deal with a mess like me and to help my life go in good directions even when I'm so dense sometimes I can't see an open door I just am grateful. So let's pray with gratitude for the cross and what God has done and what it's all about and what he wants to do. And we'll have communion. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you today uh, grateful that we're not alone. Grateful that we're not just in a human-based planet and that's all there is because it's a messed up planet. But God, we're in the middle of whatever we're in whether we're alone or with a really big crowd or in a city of 20 million or wherever we are we're surrounded by you who covers uh, us with your everlasting wings God as the psalmist says and we're grateful I'm grateful God just in telling the story again I'm grateful that somehow I hung in when I wanted to quit and give up and blame it on you Somehow Richard or whoever it was helped me hang in and learn a lesson that I've held on to for many, many years. Had to keep relearning it to my shame, but keep relearning it and know it's true, even when my heart had to keep coming. So, Father, we're uh, just grateful. We stand in awe at the foot of the cross that you loved us enough to uh, pay for our sins. And that you love us enough to stay so invested in what we do every day of our lives. And even when we think we're alone, we've never been alone. Because you have given your son for us. You're working for us. Uh, you want our lives to end up in a glorious way and to end up with you for eternity. So, Father, as we take the bread and the fruit of the vine, we think about the body given and the blood given but we think about all of the other things that you continue to give as you work in our lives to keep us cleansed, 
also to keep us on a path that leads home. We thank you. Be with us as we partake of this fruit of the vine and of this bread. In Jesus we ask. Dance over me while I am unaware. You sing all around, but I never You paint the morning sky with miracles in mind. With miracles in mind. And my heart will always stand. My heart will always stand. For you hold me in your hand. For you
name. Lord, I'm deep. One more time. Morning, church. My name is Raymond Brown. My wife and I and our four kids, we are part of the uh, family ministry here in the Westside Church. We've reached the portion of our service 
when we uh, take up time to just uh, give. And we give money to support the church. And the money goes to pay for staffing, for the meeting rooms, and of course, for some uh, benevolent activities. If you're visiting with us today, don't feel compelled to. Uh, but if you feel so, please feel free to give. As uh, most of you know, today we have a special collection, the uh, special contribution. And this goes to help with God's work in the Middle East, South America, and Central America. And I got to tell you, special contribution is very dear to my heart. About 15 years ago, the West Side Church, this church, had decided to send out a young couple to Inland Empire to start up a new campus ministry. As some of you know that couple, uh, Steve and, uh, and Carrie Lounsbury. And a lot of you in this room, you gave to sustain that ministry. And I got to tell you, I'm grateful. Because on the first day that Steve and Carrie got introduced to the church in the Inland Empire, I was visiting for the first time. So I met Steve. We started studying the Bible. And two weeks after, I was baptized into Christ. Thank you. You know, today my life has been richly blessed because of your giving. And I say thank you again. And I don't know, I don't think so. I don't think I'll be here even today if the church had not decided, if you decided not to give, or if you had decided not to give either way. I wouldn't have been here. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm sure there's so many more souls that have been affected through your giving. Right now, we're going to take a minute, a couple, and see a video.
that uh, this year a lot of you have been working very hard, you've saved up money, you've done fundraising, yard sales, and a lot of sacrifices just to make this a special day to give. I know in my household, our kids have been scouring out the house and looking for change and, and loose dollar bills, and they put them all in here. Again, I'm sure in your household, you've probably been doing the same thing. I want to encourage you as you give. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much because you taught us how to give because of Christ. Thank you for the example that we have. We're grateful because we know that you multiply giving. You do miracles with our giving. Souls are one for you because of our giving. Thank you. We could never outgive you. God, help us to give from our heart willingly and cheerfully. And may it all come to you as fragrant offering. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As the trade gets passed on, I'm going to have some announcements. So the family ministry... We're going to have midweek again next Friday, and it's going to be at 
at the Senior Center in Culver City. And very important, next Sunday we're not going to be meeting here, nor are we going to be meeting in the morning at 10.30 a.m. Instead, we're going to be at the Senior Center in Culver City at 6 p.m. And our very own Devon Smith is going to be uh, preaching, and he's entitled his uh, message, Man Cave. Uh, let's look forward to that this coming Sunday. Also, we do have our West Side Mission uh, Committee members. Do we have that picture and the names? As you know, we uh, voted about a couple weeks ago, and here we are. So here are the names. Amen. Um, one more thing. You do have your handout. You have the uh, announcement sheet. In it, you have this paper, which uh, Jereen just put together, and it's a list of uh, serving opportunities. So please take them with you. Don't leave them lying around. Take them home, please. Thank you. Lastly, I have Rock Ministry. Well, good morning again. Uh, very excited about the Rock Ministry, and maybe you don't know what that is. We don't go around looking at rocks. We learn about God and his word. And uh, several times a year, we have uh, an opportunity to take a, an extra class, sort of before service. We'll take one of the classrooms or a couple of the classrooms and uh, call on some of our more experienced members or people with a lot of expertise in a particular area to teach something that's interesting and exciting for them that can help all of us. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more than you might get from just Gordon's lesson or just what's being preached. Yes. Yes, Mark. Yes, Mark. And uh, Mark Shaw also helps yeah. with this. So are you going to mention this? Yes, yes. I'm going to mention the details. Okay. Don't panic. Good. Don't panic. So there's three classes we have coming up this summer. Uh, one of them is taught by uh, Dot.